right. Listeners of the world, I promised more Patreon content, and I am here to deliver. The biggest guest we could have gotten, very highly requested. Really? Big time uh, star. Big time. Wow. Pedro DeLuca is here exclusive on the AW Patreon. Wow. Uh, you got to pay to hear this interview because he is the uh, chief financial officer. That's right. Uh, I don't think he wanted that job. He just inherited this position. Uh, so, yeah, we really have no nothing uh, nothing scheduled, nothing on the on the docket. We're just going to kind of freestyle it here for a little bit on Patreon. Uh, but Pedro, is this your, is this your first podcast? This has got to be your first AIW. It's definitely my first AIW, basically anything since Behind the Curtain. Right, yeah. And I think this might only be my second podcast ever. Well, I'm not very good at it, so don't. Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, I'll tell you what. Let's let's start at the beginning, all right? Because anybody that's ever been to anything like the Chandler Biggins shows or the, uh, you know, any of the early stuff knows that. There would be no Pedro DeLuca without Chandler Biggins. Well, yeah, let's 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 get into that. Let's get into because I think that is a you know I I've probably talked about it loosely on the AW podcast a little bit, but I think it is a very interesting story, and I'll let you tell it from your perspective. Okay, um, started going to Cleveland All Pro shows uh, like two thousand two thousand one, and uh, would sit front row, same spot every time, and. There was this really loud guy that would always sit front row, and we, we kind of started talking because after a few shows, and coming to find out his name is Chandler Biggins. And so we, it ended up we, we would always sit next to each other. It would be Chandler. Uh, sometimes he had a buddy that would come with him. It would be myself, my wife, Jen. And then if you went on down the front row line, former AIW uh, referee Drew Taylor would sit next to us. And next to him would be our dear friend, Big F and Tom, who unfortunately uh, passed away uh, last year. That's that's what we know him as. Some people, you know, knew him by his real name, Tom Troll. Um, and, yeah, we, we always knew him. Like, if probably to this day, if I looked at my phone, and it's probably 30 phone numbers ago for him, but it is still in my phone as Big F and Tom, that, not Tom that's Troll. That's how it is in my phone as well. So we, we would always hang out at the shows together and, but we like, it was this weird, like we're friends, but we're not really friends because we didn't know each other's names. And I was one show I was wearing, this is the, back in the, the Napoleon dynamite days. Uh, so early 2000s, early 2000s. So I had a, a vote for Pedro shirt on. So Chandler was trying a- to, as did many people that went to uh, <laughs> the mall in those days. <laughs> So Chandler was trying to get my attention, so he just goes, "Hey Pedro!" And uh, I just turned my head, and I was Pedro from that day on. Like, I mean, I don't think maybe we're breaking a huge story here, but your real name is not Pedro. No, <laughs> uh, it, people would probably. I'm going to keep it. Uh, I I never never call you by your real name, and it weirds me out when people do. Well, like around any any wrestling venue. I won't even answer to my real name. Like everybody knows me as Pedro because I tell people, if you call me by my real name, nobody's going to know who you're talking about. Right. So I will always be Pedro no matter what happens. Uh, so yeah, don't even try to learn my real name because I won't answer to it at a wrestling show because I won't think you're talking to me. Cause there were times where like people like, you know, this is fast forward a little bit, but sometimes people would come, you know, that would know you start coming to AW shows and, you know, they would say your name and I say, who, who the fuck is that? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, uh, fast forward even further, you know, when, 
when you were in the hospital with pneumonia, my, my father passed away, and there was a large contingent of AIW guys that came down to Akron for my dad's funeral, and it was kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek joke that... Uh, like what? they just figured it out that day. Yeah, they're like, wait a minute, what's Pedro's real name? Because we're here for this funeral, and we have no idea what his last name is. Right. So, <laughs> so getting back to Cleveland All-Pro, so we, we became very good friends, and... Always sat front row together, and then one day Chandler goes, "Hey," uh, and he always had that big, deep, booming voice. "Hey, uh, I'm running this wrestling show." And I'm like, "Okay," so he hands me this flyer, and I believe it was Gauntlet for the Gold One. Yeah, because I guess so. Uh, it was probably Hell on Earth One, actually, because that. Oh, well, actually, it would have been Gauntlet for the Gold One. You're right. You're right because. We revealed him as the quote unquote owner at Hell on Earth One. Okay. And the big thing was we were doing a completely free event. So the new owner, Chandler Biggins, was just giving free tickets out to everybody. Okay, gotcha. Okay. And when he went to other shows, he really played that. He did not break kayfabe. No. So even though he was just like a, at that time an on screen, like authority figure, he would go to Cleveland All Pro and he had a fucking. This is a shoot too. He had a briefcase, and it was yep. just full of tickets, <laughs> amongst amongst other props and things. Yeah, <laughs> but so I, so I do believe that he probably was like, "Hey, I'm running this wrestling show." So I, I go to Gauntlet, uh, and uh, kind of as a photographer, fan, security guard, just guy around the ring. Yeah, because so I don't know how like how he presents that to us, but like. Early AW was like this weird mismatch of like people like tag alongs that were just like on the staff somehow. <laughs> like I don't even know. Like people would be like, and it's kind of crazy to think about it now. You know, in my thirties, but like at the time, I am twenty one years old. I couldn't even imagine like, you know, some of these other people are teenagers and like. There was no like authority, like, hey, get the fuck out of here. We're running a wrestling show. It was like, oh, this is like Greg Iron. This is Greg Iron. He's, uh, well, you know, was he wasn't Greg Iron at them. He's like, oh, he's a security guy. And uh, Dave the Potato is a security guy. And oh, this is uh, my friend Pedro. He's a security guy. And like, I there, there was, there's people that was there as quote unquote security guards. I, to this day, I've never seen them again in my life. Like, I have no I, idea. Who I, they there was probably so many people that played AW security that, I couldn't tell you their names for a million dollars. So we, I watched the show, and this was the infamous chopping up the Bible show. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, that's that's a little out there. So I missed the next show, which I believe was Night of Mystery. Yeah. But then I came back for the next show, which I believe was Absolution, maybe? No. It would have been like, uh, this is now. Okay, I this think. is uh, Yeah, I was at this is now. So then I, be, I started becoming a regular and it wasn't too long after that that we did a an outdoor show in Seven Hills. That would have been so. That would have been the summertime. Yeah, that would have been the summertime, like July ish. And that's where I like officially became ring crew. Okay, was at Seven Hills because it rained, and oh, then, I quit that day. I actually quit the company that <laughs> day because it was an absolute downpour. I mean, I, I quit that day. Me and the other, uh, you know, owners or whatever you want to call them. Uh, that was like the first big rift. Uh, <laughs> like it was just a madness. It was 
it was a clusterfuck and like uh you know i was always kind of booking the shows and then they were like no we changed all this stuff and like there was all these other people there and there's people i'd never saw like had no idea who they were they showed up they were booked they were like told they were booked like it was a mess it rained um there was something going on with me and some girl that the other guy had a crush on like in secret (laughs) and like going deep now it was like a whole big thing that day and i was like i fucking quit this fucking company i'll fucking i could i never knew you quit that's (laughs) i i I never knew you quit aiw that's that day i did yeah and i was like fuck this like i like i do all this shit like that's the first big like you guys don't know what the fuck you're doing of many to come in many that's a good that's a good thing of because because if you think about it you know so that would have been 2006 Mm -hmm. and then by the summer of 2007 we are totally split yes because march of 2007 it was the first time i ever rang an ounce so i think in like (laughs) i think you pretty much and i never even thought about it like that was the day that the the splinter of the original AIW started was that day that you came on board at that weird like Seven Hills show because it was just such a fucking clusterfuck. Because uh, I won't mention him by name, but one of the former owners or bosses of AIW said, "Anybody that stays and helps tear down, I'll give them free merch for life." I'm like, okay, yeah, so that, that's that's how I became Ring Crew. <laughs> how long did that last? Because you're still alive. I'm still alive, yeah. <laughs> Barely. But uh, so then, I, I don't know how deep you want to go with this, but, you know, then it went from, you know, just helping out with Ring Crew to pretty much taking over Ring Crew because it was getting to the point where nobody really knew how to put the ring together. So I just kind of figured it out. And then it just so happened my dad had a trailer that would hook up to my truck. And we started pulling the ring with that trailer and kind of eliminated the other former owner from even touching the ring. Right. And that got the ball rolling for something else. I don't know how much you want to get into here. <laughs> yeah, well, statues of limitations, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it would be stored at different places and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you had the trailer and all that stuff, it really set things in motion to for it to be me and Chandler, you know, right. and like, um, you were you were involved in that whole thing, and you played you played dumb and played both sides there for a little <laughs> bit, uh, but uh, you know we're getting way too far ahead. Way of too far because that was wow. I don't even know how far ahead that was, but that would have been two thousand eight, seven, eight, something where. Yeah, because there was a good solid year, at least a solid year. Once I started ring announcing and replaced Chuck Roberts, that we were all still together. Right. So, but it just so happened, you know going back to in reverse here to my first ring announcing for AIW, uh, we were at a little show in Strongsville that I believe was put together by Josh Emanuel. And I had brought the ring up, set it up. Was there real early? No, it was in Shaker Heights, Ohio. It was in Shaker Heights? Okay. It was a Battle Bowl show, right? Yeah, Battle Bowl. Yep. Okay, that was Shaker Heights? Yeah. Okay. That was never released, I don't think. Or maybe they found it recently. I think maybe that was recently found on Spotlight okay. Video. I know for and the longest time, there was like no footage of it. I think it's I think it's for sale now. I think they found it on a hard drive somewhere. I'll have to get, look up on uh, Smart Mark and see if I can get that, because that, that was the, the official debut of Pedro DeLuca, because we were just messing around at the ring, and... Uh, a kid by the name of Patrick Hayes and Josh Emanuel were, were playing around in the ring, and I was just outside the ring doing 
Howard Finkel ring introductions, and it just so happens that Chuck Roberts didn't show up that night or couldn't make or it. wasn't or booked. or wasn't who booked, knows. forgot about, I don't know. And somebody said, hey, have that Pedro guy do it. He's pretty good at it. So in the thousands of things that Thorne and Chandler are trying to get done, they're just like, stay behind the curtain and you know just announce the show oh because i think this i think we were gonna like paul Heyman house show it and just like have somebody announce from behind the curtain and then we just said oh, you just do it okay so i i did it that one time and then i don't know i i guess i impressed some although i, I do remember that night i i messed up your introduction I, th- I figured oh shit well i'll never get to do this ever again because i said his opponent and you were his tag team partner because it was it was battable i probably didn't even fucking notice no you, you screamed at me you're like i'm his fucking partner well. so <laughs> I was a little hot-headed back in those days. But, uh, and so it wasn't too far along after that that I just kind of took over. I know it would have been Absolution 2. I did not ring announce, and I was kind of bummed out. And uh, Drew Taylor was like, what, you got the best spot in the show? You got to carry Vicky Gambino back to the locker room. So (laughs) who did Chuck? So I think Chuck Roberts did that one, maybe? Yeah, Chuck Roberts rang announce Absolution 2. And then it wasn't long after that that the, the big split really started coming about. And that happens right after Absolution 2. That happens yeah. one month later. Absolution 2 is in May. We did that weird show in Michigan that really made, caused the riff. That was when it was all done. And then, um, so your first, so our first show would have been the Campus Invasion show. My actual in-ring debut was up at the Funky Frog when Chandler wrestled J-Rock. So that, yeah, that's before splitting up. Yeah, yeah. But the split wasn't too long after that. And then we did Campus Invasion, and I can remember that day. <laughs> I pull the ring down to wherever Ohio University, and I'm like, "Where is this place at?" It's at a house. It's at a house, and I'm like, "Wait, we got the Honky Tonk Man at a fucking house." And I had to back the trailer like up this weird ravine, windy, yeah, weird <laughs> windy college driveway. But and then we're we're getting there, and like we don't even know who's going to appear on the show. Like we had no idea who was actually going to show up for the show. And I remember Sammy Callahan pulled in, Super Oprah was there, you Michael Nick, t- Michael Tarver, Michael Tarver was there, and I think Kano was there. No, no, Kano wasn't there. Dio Salvador, okay. And yeah. um, Carlton Kaz. <laughs> Carlton Kaz. And Matt Riot, RIP. Yeah. And that might and Matt Wadsworth wrestles on that show. He wrestles he, me on that show. He, but everybody wrestled like three times because we did like a little mini tournament, didn't we? No, we just did whatever the fuck because we didn't know what was going We didn't know if people were going to come. And then all of a sudden there's like 500 people there. Oh, and that's the best part of that whole show. So the, the show is about is supposed to start and there's literally nobody where we're at so nick or thorne sends me out to the ring and i'm like there's nobody here but i ring the bell and it was like literally the floodgates opened up there's just people coming out of everywhere there's people up on housetop roofs they're up in trees the ringside area is just completely full of people in like two seconds it was amazing it was yeah it was a crazy 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 time uh man there's so much that that we could we could jump around and cover. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting is I remember going to your old house and you had framed like on the stairs, <laughs> all the note cards and photos from your first uh, ring announcing gig, which I think like a lot of people 
kind of take it for granted when they like do something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's just like a thing they do and you like actually took the time to like save everything and frame it. I mean, I just always thought that was so interesting. Well, the way I looked at it, okay, I got in late. I, back then I was like 28-ish. So I, I never thought that this would ever go anywhere. So when you guys asked me to do Driven, it was Driven by Suffering, right? Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Chandler wrestled J-Rock. So when I did that show, I'm like, this is my WrestleMania. Because, I mean, I'm 28. I'm 250 pounds. I'm never going to be a wrestler. Right. I mean, I, I've, I always loved wrestling since I was 10 years old. I, Thorne's been to my house. He's seen my wrestling collection. I have a huge wrestling collection. Magazines, DVDs, VHS tapes, figures, everything. And so... Just being able to get in the ring, that, that was a big deal to me that I got to announce this show. You know, there was several guys on that show that went on to do bigger and better things and, you know, sign in the big companies. But to me, it, it was just like a dream come true. It was, it was literally a dream come true that I got to be a part of a pro wrestling show. And that's why I framed my note cards and had pictures of everybody on the show in that frame. Uh, but what I found was interesting kind of about your journey is – you kind of not even you don't even try and it becomes like you get all this work from all these places that you attended as fan as a fan which is kind of like taboo you know when you think about it like that never really happens you know it's yeah. kind of like oh he's a fan keep him out but like all of a sudden because you were kind of a fan that was like respected by everybody you know even like the JT Lightnings and right. you know uh, you started getting other gigs just, you know, by being around. It, it, after Driven by Suffering, I mean, it just exploded. I mean, I, I wasn't even the official AIW ring announcer, but, you know, there was multiple promotions like, hey, you're really good at this. We don't have a regular ring announcer. Will you be our ring announcer? And, you know, all told, I think I, I rang announced for 17 different promotions in the tri-state area. Yeah, and like... Around here, there was like Hank Hudson, and then Chuck Roberts came into the scene, and that was it. That was it. Yeah, that was it. And then you know you kind of popped up, and like you know Hank still does stuff, <coughs> and I think he still did most, if not all, JT shows. Yeah. Did you ever do a JT show? I was an in ring interviewer slash backstage interviewer for JT. I thought that I knew that you did something for yeah. him. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if you ever rang and announced Cleveland All Pro, but like JT would always have me go pick up guys at the airport for him. Even when you're a fan. Even when I was a fan because yeah. I lived right by uh, Akron Canton Airport. So I was like picking up Buff Bagwell and Sumi Sakai and Marty Jannetty and all these guys before I was ever even in AIW. Right. And, you know, JT was always – I was always – I was. it was weird because JT would always pull me and Jen out of the, the line outside of Turner's and say, no, you guys come in. Right. Like I, I didn't – I never had to stand outside. Uh, so I was always getting pulled in. So, you know, I knew Traxler – long before you know i knew aiw or even mega and that's the thing is like you know everyone has their kind of stories of like tumultuous times with jt lightning but like he also like would do things that like that like no come on you know what i mean like don't stand in the cold like you know if he knew you you know what i mean like he would he would take care of you and uh I don't think that gets talked about enough. You know, those stories about JT. I, I, I mean, not only did JT pull me in, but, you know, long before I was a, a ring announcer or even in the business, you know, um, JT was always pulling us in. Um, I always had, like, first dibs on any of the, the DVDs or merch and everything. 
Um, he gave right before he died. He gave me this massive stack of old. It was even. It was. It wasn't just Cleveland All Pro. The thick cardboard rainbow uh, posters. promo posters. Yes, there was a Cleveland All Pro. There was ECW ones in there. There was. I mean, just all kinds of different promotions. But he gave me a big stack of those. He gave me um, every NWA and WCW pay per view ever made. Wow. So he just gave me all these. Uh, like burned discs um man i mean and jt like i love just sitting down and talking to jt you know that's what bums me out is nobody sat down and did a podcast with jt there's like one thing on youtube where it's like a 15 or 20 minute interview with him where he's talking but other than that like I, i to my knowledge nothing like that exists where somebody sat down with JT and just talked. And, like, what I find now as I've gotten older is, like, when you're younger, you're like, ah, this fucking guy don't know what he's talking about. And now it's like, if we would have just been doing things that way forever, you know what I mean? Like, he really had the plan, like, focus on your locals, bring in, you know, bring in talent to work with them, bring in a, bring in a star, to you know draw and like just think about you know at those times he wasn't doing you know he was doing like uh maybe like ten dollar eight by tens in the ring or whatever right. but like polaroids he was big on polaroids. <laughs> or polaroids that's what i mean polaroids yeah yeah yeah. uh still got my jerry lynn and my gangrel and my monty brown but you know polaroid. like uh, he really kind of had a good plan down and you know i think if he would have figured out video distribution he would Cleveland Albro would be talked about in a different vein than it is now, in my opinion. I mean, the, the, the people that you know, I, I know everybody says, "Oh, he had all these people," but no, you don't understand. He knew a star when he saw it. But what I'm saying is, even though he knew a star, he always focused on the local core, right? You know what I mean? To where he wanted his guys to be the stars to his crowd, and you know, he would also bring in these kind of flavors of the month at that time you know indie people like punk and cabana and all these people came through um and he would do that and he would cater somewhat to the infancy of the internet but like he ne- he would never strayed from going full tilt into that and i think you know if you look at some of those shows back in the day like i'm talking like late 90s cleveland all pro early 2000s cleveland all pro there was a lot of good stuff that Probably, unless you were there, nobody saw. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of his stuff never went anywhere. A lot of the master footage was destroyed in a flood. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and it's kind of sad because I can remember JT had the master tapes of Cleveland All Pro. Every show, yeah. Every show. And, and he, he was going to give them all to me and Chandler. I have a few of them. I, not many, but the master tapes from whatever cable station he was on. Yeah, like I, local you know, cable access TV. I have a few of them. But he was going to give us, like, everything. Yeah. And it was all destroyed, like, that, right before he, you know, he got really sick. That That's very depressing and heartbreaking because, I mean, and the shows were fun to, go, to be at. I mean, there was always, you never knew who was going to show up at a show. Because I mean, you'd be sitting there and you would kind of like look over in the, the concession area and I'm like, oh, that's John Cronus in there eating pizza. Wasn't on the show, but he was just there hanging out. 
And I don't know if I was at that show or not, but I do remember hearing a story that John Cronus was just randomly at Cleveland yeah. All Pro. He was just randomly there. Um, <coughs> before he was Dolph Ziggler, he would hang out all the time at Cleveland All Pro shows. Um, there was somebody else that just showed up. Um, one of the dude busters. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trent, uh, not Trent Beretta. Uh, yeah, Kalen Croft. Caleb, yeah. He would always just randomly show up. And Chris then, Pavone. Russell. Chris, yeah. yeah. And when he would show up, then Dolph Ziggler, Nick Nemeth, whatever you want to call him, he would show up just to or, watch him. Right, because they knew each other from whatever, OVW or whatever. And then, like, I, there was a show, like, Lexi Fife just randomly showed up just to watch the show. I mean, this, so let's kind of, like, not even JT, but, like, let's get into just, like, independent wrestling as general. I know I've told this story before, but I remember going to a show in Stowe, and I saw Dave Batista wrestle there. Mm-hmm. You know, he wrestled this guy named Jay Pumper, and Jerry Lawler and the Cat were there. Right. You know, like, uh, you were kind of from this air, the Akron area where we're recording this. Like, what, like, what is your, do you have a, uh, a recollection of a first indie event that you went to? Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I'm, I don't know if Cleveland fans would know this name, but the Green Hornet was the like the promoter here in the Akron area he would run at like all the local high schools doing fundraisers and usually he would use a lot of the guys from the ASWA like uh, Chip Endale and the Prince of Polyester like uh, Thunder Morgan G- uh, Jimmy uh, what's his name uh, who yeah he's the, the Nightmare Jimmy Lee yeah Jimmy Lee was on the, a lot of his shows but then you know he started getting more and more of these high schools, so he was making more money, and he started bringing in names. My my first like major Green Hornet show I went to, it had Demolition Axe, Sensational Sherry, the Bushwhackers, and I want to say Jimmy Snuka on it. So to and me, not, like those are the indie days that are just like man, right. like <laughs> think about all that footage that has just like probably wasn't even recorded. No, you know what there, I mean. There was like, no videotaping of those shows at all. Just the show. And, like, uh, you know, I saw something going around on social media. It was, like, 1993 Indy, Papa Shango versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> you know what Man, I mean? Like, just, like <laughs> But just think about in that era how many things like that happened. Like, one of the first indie shows I went to was somewhere in this area. I would have to ask Wadsworth. But he was, like, his family was, like, really into the infancy of the Internet. So they had you know, his last name.com. And like, he had his own little section where he talked about how he was a wrestling fan and you can email me about wrestling. And like some guy, he was like an indie worker, uh, named Talon at the time, like sent him a message and was like, Hey, uh, you got some good size. You should come down and train with us or whatever. Like we have a show and it was a show run by this guy, Bubba, the stomp and hillbilly. Oh yeah. And it was like in like an abandoned storefront. There was like 10 people there. And uh, I would have to ask, I bet you Wadsworth would know the exact place that we went, but it was somewhere in the Akron area. Because I remember in that, you know, this is like, you know, you're talking 1997 or 98. Like, okay. I remember going with them. We had to, like, print out the map quest. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, uh, we're, like, teenagers driving to this show. And I remember, you know, Beef Stew Lou Marconi was on it and Frank Stiletto. And, um, you know, B- the bouncer was on it. And, um this guy Bubba the Stompin' Hill, but he he, uh, he like rode like a Harley to the ring inside, and like there was like twenty people there, and uh, from there, you know, handsome Frank Stiletto was like, "Hey, I'm running this show in Medina," and like it was like uh, the day after an ECW house show, he was like gave us a flyer, and it was like 
the Pitbulls, the Bushwhackers, Reckless Youth, Mike Quackenbush, Tom Brandy, wow. Christian York, Joey Matthews. Holy crap. Um, Stevie Richards. Uh, and there's probably, there's even more people on it. Oh my God. And uh, like 12 people in the crowd, including me and Wadsworth. That's impressive. And like, I have, I have a Polaroid with the Pitbulls from that show. Oh, that's awesome. I'm like 14 I'm years old. That kind of stuff. I'm like 14 years old. And uh, I, I like, I have the Polaroid with the Pitbulls. Um, and I remember, you know, like the Bushwhackers like licked my face and like, <laughs> You know, like Stevie Richards was like all like this is when he was kind of like fucked up. You know, he was all like fucked up. He just had his like throat surgery, I think. Okay. He couldn't talk, and like, you know, he had kind of a reputation around like shows in Pittsburgh for getting a little unruly, you know, and out of hand. And, um, you know, it was, but you don't see shows like that anymore. Oh, you know, because like, like those guys were probably like you know not making, like I think indies in that in those days were just like the big shows and I was like, we're going to pay you off the house. You know what I mean? So it was just like, it wasn't like, Oh, demolition wants $5,000. It was like, well, demolition acts, you're going to, you're in the main event. You're going to get this much out of the gate. And like, I cause all, all those shows in the nineties had like such huge names. Oh on yeah. Them. Like I loved going to those shows. I mean, cause you know, you know, teenage me at that time, I'm talking like 96 and that, that was my senior year of high school. You know, I've got action figures of these guys. Right. And it's just like, holy shit, I'm going to meet this dude that I, like, had my LJN rubber guy, you know, ripping the paint off of him, banging around the rock'em, sock'em ring, and now I get to meet this guy. Right. And, like, you know, I remember going to shows like King Kong Bundy and Jimmy Snuka, and uh, Wadsworth and I were actually just talking about this last week uh, at the Winchester. We were driving, because he drove, we drove to the Winchester together, and we were talking about how uh, we went to this show it was at Garfield Heights High School, and, like, we realized, like, the L for this show must have stood for ladies because it was all female matches, but Tugboat was – Typhoon was there. Typhoon was there. <laughs> Typhoon was there, and he had all his Typhoon shit on, and we were like, we're, you know, we're the big smart marks at the time. We're like, we want you to be Tugboat. You know, like, we should be Tugboat. <laughs> you know, like, remember when you were Tugboat? You know, like, just fucking – he probably hated us, right? Like, oh, you should be Tugboat. And uh, he was like, no, I'm booked as Typhoon tonight, brother. And, uh, you know, just blowing us off. And uh, he came to the, he, he was came out to the ring and he looked at us and he gave us a fucking Tugboat. Like, oh, you know what I mean? And we were like, fuck yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's the highlight of your fandom right, right. there. And like, you know, we're probably, you know, I'm probably 14 or 15 at the time. You know what I mean? And, uh, you just don't see stuff like that anymore. You know, you used to be able to go to a show. Sabu would be there or like all Furman or like just these random Tommy Rich, Doug Gilbert, all these random ass names. Well, that's actually how I stumbled upon Cleveland all pro wrestling. I went to a WWE show or well, WWF back then, but at uh, whatever it was back then, gun quick and loans, whatever it was. But uh, JT was out there passing out flyers and Sabu was on the flyer. And the first show I went to the main event was, it was a six man, so I think it was JT Ricky Morton. I was uh, I, I, so it was a double shot weekend. Yeah, night one was in Garfield Heights. Night two was at the Lakewood Masonic Temple. Yes, I went to the Lakewood Masonic Temple. JT got arrested the night before at the Garfield Heights show uh, for he pushed a cop and he got arrested. Really, I didn't know that. Story. <laughs> and uh, the next, like, so all the names were on both nights, and like the next night, the dog Al Green was on the show. Yes, and it was like Ricky Morton. 
Al Green and like Sabu against three local guys or something. Well, Bobby Blaze was in. Oh, it. Bobby Blaze, yeah. I have it. I actually, I I've uploaded this match on YouTube. I think. And the Stro. The Stro did a lot of JT. Yeah, shows. the Stro, the Maestro, the Stro. He was there. Robbie, what was his name? Robbie Eagles and no. USWA or uh, George, something, something George, like Gorgeous George, Gorgeous George the Third or yeah. something. Uh, and but I remember. JT and Sabu were like arguing over a payoff and like Sabu was like throwing a fit and like he walked out like dirt like you know he was yelling like when the show was going on like he walked out from the backstage and was yelling and like it was like a big scene and the main event of that show was the shoot battle royal the shoot cup battle royal won by Eden just because he's the fattest guy that couldn't get thrown over but it was like a real shoot like yeah it was pretty cool because like JT was out in the crowd had fans pulling names or numbers out and that's that's who got introduced next. So it was a legit shoot. And uh, that was my introduction to the Widowmaker, Jason Bain, and Michael eight, Hellborn. And eight all, Pac and all those eight guys. Eight Pac. Um, was, no, the wild cards wasn't on that. No, no, no. no. Mr. That's, cool Brad Vaughn would have been on that. Yes. Yeah, you know who else was on that show? Uh, I'm pretty sure Hito from FMW. Yes, Hito was there Mr. because Insan- thought he was Tajiri. Mr. Insanity, Toby Klein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because um, the night before, Hito wrestled Sabu for like an FMW belt or something. Really? Oh, wow. Some, or some, you know, they said something like that. There was another name there. T- I think there was a, f- a women's wrestler there. It could have been. Because J- JT would always usually have a woman's match on his shows. Uh, yeah, especially during those year- years, too. I'm not sure, but th- that was my introduction to Cleveland Opera. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, all these guys that I've seen on TV. I can come up and see and get their autograph and everything. Yeah, I'm going to come to every show. Right. Like, I like th- that stuff is what made me fall in love with independent wrestling. I mean, just those experiences. Like, people don't realize it now. And, like, you know, we're probably a little bit to blame because, you know, we're trying to, like, build up a quality scene. But, like, in those days, you could go to, to an indie show within driving distance every single weekend. It was bad. Some of them were bad. bad. None of them had a crowd. No. You know what I mean? But you could go to a show every weekend. And everybody wore the, the trash bag pants and the. But there would always be like some random ass name. Yeah. Like, I remember driving to Painesville to go see the Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels for the first time and Amazing Red Russell M Dog. Wow. And, you know, that's probably, you know, 2002, uh, 2003, maybe. You know what I mean? Like, um, Right, right in that era, you know, because you know, Painesville had shows, and then there were shows in Lorraine that weren't that weren't even Traxler shows. Like this guy, Rod Des- Rod Destiny would run shows, and he would always have ECW names. And um, sometimes this guy uh, TNT would run shows in Wooster, which wasn't that far. Which TNT? The one with the the camo he, face paint? Or? No, 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 no. He would he would be on some JT shows in the you know the late nineties, early. So he was the red, white, and blue one. TNT? Maybe, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. There was like eight TNTs in the area. At that but point. there was just so many shows during the area. And <coughs> none of them drew, but like when you're a teenager and that's all you want to do is go see wrestling live, you know, for five bucks or something. Well, you got to throw in the uh, the world pro wrestling of Jerry Gray in there too. That- I never saw any of those shows. Oh, see, that was the big thing that it kind of killed the uh, Canton Civic Center down here in Akron. Uh, he would run shows and promise all these gigantic names, like he'd have the Road Warriors. No one and, would ever be there. And yeah, they wouldn't show up. So 
Like you would be going expecting like Sid Vicious, the Road Warriors, and who was the other? There was another gigantic name, but you got like Public Enemy and Kevin Sullivan, and Brian Knobs, which you know still okay, it's still but okay, but not when, the Road Warriors, not the Road Warriors. No. And <laughs> I remember specifically maybe one time uh, JT was advertising Masato Tanaka, and something happened and the deal fell apart, and he was not there. Uh, but most of the time, JT had his names for the yeah. most part. Um, just didn't he replace him with Alf Herman or something? Probably. Like okay. Yeah, probably, which, you know, he, Alf Herman did a lot of those Cleveland All Pro shows. But I remember going, and I think it was like they were going to, they were advertising like a barbed wire match or something with Masato Tanaka. And then, like, he just, he wasn't there or whoever he dealt with probably didn't, you know, like his middleman person, like Tommy or. You know, uh, Tracy probably didn't like you know properly book it or whatever. You know what I mean? Because it was a different world too. That back then booking guys too. Because most of them, I don't know if you would call it an agency back then, but like, didn't they usually travel by like a carload? Like you would book a yeah. So they would be like, hey, JT, we're doing you know ECW in uh, Buffalo and Cleveland, and then we got nothing Sunday. So then JT would add a show and like get some ECW guys on or. You know, if there was a weird off weekend for ECW, him and Rod Destiny would split ECW guys. Because uh, Sabu would have, like, a Winnebago, and then, like, people would get in the Winnebago with him and do, like, a whole loop, and then they would, you know, wind up in Cleveland for the loop, and then they would just stay on the road. Like, they would never go home. Wasn't, wasn't there also, like, a... I think it was a woman that, like, controlled, like, all the names out of... I know who you're talking about, and I can't remember her name. But she had, like... Frankie Kazarian and oh, that was Jack. Her name was Jacqueline. Okay, she would book like she'd be like, "Give me five hundred bucks," and then she would give you like two thousand dollars worth of talent. Like I think because she was trying to like hook up with the guys or something. But like for like some bargain price, you would get like all these names, yeah, like, like New Jack, you know, Chris Saban, Kazarian, the SATs, Amazing Red. But um, you got to book Matt Vandal, you know. <laughs> Vandal. <laughs> hey, former Cleveland All-Pro uh, heavyweight champion, Matt Vandal. Paid for by Jacqueline, I'm sure. Jackie. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll wrap this up because we've been going uh, for about a half hour already, a little over. Uh, so this will be the first of many just random walks down memory lane with you, Pedro, for let's, the Patreon. Let's just talk wrestling. That's all I know is wrestling. I think that's all any of us know anymore. So Wrestling and dealing with a five-year-old that thinks he's 21. Well. He told me last night he needed Mountain Dew and Doritos. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you, Patreon uh, subscribers. And, uh, hey, anytime you guys want to hear from me, I'm, I'm honored that you guys think I'm this uh, big shot big shot special guest. So anytime. All I'm, right. I'm, good. I'm down to do this. Thanks a lot. Thanks.